Hello. Investors are on the edge of their seats waiting for the results of the elections in the US, or they ought to be, according to my guest today. Radically different manifesto pledges by the two potential administrations could have an enormous impact on markets in the years to come. So we've decided to have a slight break from normal programming this month. Instead of our usual rich pickings, I caught up earlier with Salman Ahmed, Fidelity's global head of macro and strategic asset allocation, to hear about his framework for these elections and how they map what could happen next. Hello, Salman. Hi, Richard. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, we're not going to be making any calls on who is going to be president or what Congress is going to look like after these elections. But what we are going to discuss is some of the detail around how your team is thinking about the potential outcomes. There's lots of talk about uh, the risks surrounding this political process. But you're focusing beyond that, aren't you, Salman, to after January the 20th, when a new or a reinstated administration is in office. Um, In particular, what that administration's fiscal policy will look like. Now, why is that? Why the focus on fiscal? Oh, well, Richard, you're totally right. I think, uh, of course, the journey towards 20th January can potentially be quite problematic. And we have mapped, uh, you know, some of the tail risk scenarios which can come through because of the very heavy polarized environment, the very heavy share of mail-in voting, and then some procedural issues in some of these states, which are battleground states. But if we move beyond 20th January, assuming, as you said, there's an administration in place and and a new configuration or potentially new configuration uh, in place in the Congress, uh, we are really focused on the policy platform for 2021 and beyond. And the reason being is that, especially when we focus on fiscal policy, it has been the most critical policy support which have which was provided when the global uh, economy went into a lockdown in March, especially the U.S. It's this shift from from monetary policy to fiscal policy um, that's that's really grabs the attention and why it continues to be so important. Exactly, and and it's been, in fact, I would say, a passing of the baton from monetary policy to fiscal policy becoming the major driver of uh, of support the economy. Uh, After GFC, uh, it was really monetary policy which took the lead as QE programs were put in place across the DM world. But the nature of the shock, uh, uh, which was COVID or the pandemic, and the fact that uh, we had to shut down the economies in order to slow the virus spread, meant that fiscal policy, which by definition can spend, uh, while monetary policy can only lend, became very, very important. And that's where Public balance sheets, uh, rightly so, I must add, were deployed to support the economy as we went through uh, through the lockdown and then reopening of the economy from June onwards. Now, even though we're in the, the final stretches before the elections, there has been lots of debate still in, in Washington, lots of on and off as Congress debated any renewed fiscal support um, for the COVID pandemic. But that seems to have fallen almost on deaf ears. Um, the market doesn't seem to have responded to those discussions. Why is that? Well, I think um, firstly is because of the elections, uh, because I think markets are projecting ahead what happens beyond 20th of Jan. Uh, I must add that this phase four uh, deal discussions where we had the view that it is potentially not going to happen because of the extreme polarization, especially which became even more powerful after uh, the Supreme Court nomination uh, came on the table and has now been confirmed and then really split the Republicans, Democrats even further. But I think the backdrop is that the fiscal policy right now is a major source of uh, of income support, to the, especially to the household sector. And the markets, rightly or wrongly, have been projecting the path of fiscal after 20th of January 
to an, uh, to 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 assess you know uh, their views and and the pricing of those views in in different asset classes. So what what would it look like then um, if we assume and it's in a big a big assumption that this election is uh, is out of the way in 2021 what sort of numbers do you think we could expect depending on the different the different scenarios i think here uh, a point i would like to raise uh, which is i think uh, not well much well understood by the market is that uh, it's not the president uh, which matters uh, on fiscal policy it is really the congress uh, and that's uh, a result of the how the US constitution is uh, is is formulated it really gives the congress a lot of power in fact you know vast majority of the power when it comes to taxation and revenue generation and and in in that sense a divided congress no matter who the president is uh, can have a much more different path on fiscal policy compared to a unified congress so our analysis we have done uh, in fact we see like if, for example, if we have a, a a blue wave, assuming we have a blue wave, and, and there has been some probability uh, of of that based on polling and 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 the betting markets of that happening. Just to explain, that's the Democrats winning both houses, sorry, both the Senate and the House, um, as well as the presidency. Exactly. So Democrats uh, are winning all three arms, uh, so two houses of the Congress and the presidency. In that scenario, we do expect a very big fiscal or what we call an exceptional fiscal plan to be put in place for the next four years. And we are thinking about numbers up to $8 trillion, uh, which is significant, uh, hasn't been happened since the, you know World War II, and on average, 8 to 9% of GDP over the next four years. That's a very, very strong fiscal program. It's, it's, it's so strong. Just let me interrupt you, someone, if I may, because I think we need to let those numbers settle in. I mean, $8 trillion sounds like... Um, you know, these are magical numbers. But to put it into context, you're saying it's almost a tenth of America's GDP being spent by the government. Extraordinary numbers. Exactly. Every year for the next four Every years. Every year. <laughs> for the for next four years, just to hammer the point. Uh, this is significant. Uh, and this is a complete mind shift uh, and a paradigm shift compared to what the response of the governments was post-GFC. Uh, and IMF, uh, interestingly enough, is a full supporter of this kind of uh, spending. And they have put in a lot of, uh, you know, analysis, according to them, in the latest uh, annual meetings, which supports that, you know, DM or the developed markets, especially US and Europe, can and should uh, spend uh, as their central banks keep rates very low. So we do expect a big fiscal program under that scenario. And one thing I want to mention is that there is also a nuance on the definition of the sweep here. Because we do see a very strong sweep as anywhere between 54 plus seats in the Senate for Democrats. However, if you think about a more moderate sweep, which we are explaining as anywhere between 50 to 52 votes, I think the size of that program does come down, but not massively. So from 8 trillion to, let's say, around 5.5 trillion. Still a very big number, still a huge number. Uh, but uh, but uh, we are putting some kind of haircut because there are some... Democrat senators on the on the fringes who are, um, or especially in those states which are you know Republican leaning, which are more conservative. So to, to take into account that effect of of those senators on the margin, which can have on the passing of the legislation. Either way, if the Democrats do well, we're still talking huge sums. Exactly, yeah, huge sums. <laughs> and, and that that's not being conjured out of nowhere. Um, America will have to borrow um, that 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 money yes. to be able to spend it. When you're talking such a 
enormous sums. Is that a concern or is that um, is that passe to worry about debt nowadays? So I think what we have to consider is firstly, uh, of course, the, if you think about what the multilateral agencies are saying and supporting now, uh, what we can think of it is a kind of a modern monetary theory type of application. Time bound for the next four years, but still another significant shift in macroeconomic thinking, this will prove to be. And and your question, uh, uh, to a more direct answer to your question is, yes, we have to think about how this debt is going to be financed. Yes, this uh, all this spending will be debt financed. And and the DM central banks are, are actually saying, led by Chairman Powell and Ms. Lagarde, uh, calling on their governments to do fiscal, support the recovery, and promising that you know we will keep keep rates or nominal rates very low to to facilitate that so a simple mathematics of debt sustainability is that as long as nominal growth is higher than nominal interest rates that debt is not a problem because the load comes down however the risk is that that spread between nominal growth and 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 nominal rates reverses and that could happen due to a, very, a number of reasons the markets may test it, the credibility of this entire setup. Uh, so, you know, like bond vigilante type action. And and as some ex-central bankers, very high, uh, you know, profile central bankers have been saying, is that what if down the line we only come up with inflation but no real growth? And that in itself will bring that debt sustainability problem right on the top of uh, uh, everybody's minds. So something we can't ignore, uh, but not um, a an immediate concern, perhaps. Um, instead, if um, government in America is awash with this um, uh, with this cash, how are they going to apply? Is it, is, is it going to be like helicopter money, it just gets dropped everywhere, or will there be some targeting um, of where they where they apply the support? I think uh, the, uh, we have to think about, obviously, uh, the plans which have been put forward uh, by the Biden administration. And, and you can split fiscal policy application in different ways. So what we have seen so far this year is a heavy focus on direct transfers. So direct transfers to the household sector, uh, loans and you know credit facilities to the business or the corporate sector. Uh, so those, those have been the major two applications of, of the fiscal policy. So I think looking ahead, once we are out of the pandemic, let's say a vaccine comes through, it's being deployed, and, and we move away from direct transfers, which I think are temporary anyways. You, uh, this can't ha- you know keep on happening on a recurring basis. Uh, I think then we move into more traditional fiscal policy. And that's where uh, the Biden administration program is is very much infrastructure focused. So green infrastructure is a big, big part of, of their plans. And that means traditional spending in old ec- economy sectors, you know, constructions, materials, building roads, you know, uh, building a, a whole new green infrastructure around it. Uh, because as we know, climate change is a very big priority for the Democratic Party. So, so it's not helicopter money in the way I think we think about it. It's going to be more about government consumption and government investment. So direct uh, buying of, of goods and services, and that shows up in infrastructure. And it's not just the money that the government would be, would be spending, is it? Because there is what economists call a, a multiplier effect. Mm. Um, and how, how does that work um, when you think about the impact on, on a particular sector that you've just, um, you've just set out? It's a, a very important question, Richard, you asked, because uh, different parts of uh, uh, government spending have different 
impact on NGDP, which is the multiplier effect. Interestingly, there are a lot of uh, studies uh, historically which show that government multipliers can be <laughs> quite low. And more interesting for me is that those kind of studies I have just been sidelined and and, and 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 the new thinking is that the government multipliers can be very high especially if interest rates are near effective lower bound so it's wishful wishful thinking do you think uh, more than wishful thinking is is it is uh, it's supposed to be tested it's untested hypothesis because we have never been towards uh, effective lower bound before uh, so it's untested uh, first uh, but having said that some parts of government investment can have very high multiplier effects. IMF is talking about anywhere above five. They are even talking about 10. So that means every dollar of investment in infrastructure can create $10 of overall inf- uh, investment uh, spending as the private sector also participates. Remains to be seen, big question mark. Well, that, that's huge because normally with multiplier effects and, and, and with fiscal spending, you're, you're, it's, it's usually below one. You'd be looking at you know, 0.5, 0.4, something like that, and that you'd be happy with it. Exactly. Those are the normal numbers we have been used to. But I think they are focused on some specific uh, parts of the uh, you know, fiscal policy, which is very much investment driven, where they are thinking about higher uh, multiplier effects. Um, there are certain assumptions they are made, obviously. Uh, beyond, obviously, the monetary policy effectiveness assumption is that, you know, the quality of these programs, you know, uh, we know historically that when spending happens uh, in a big way, waste also comes through, which eats into those multiplier effects. But that's that's the current stage of thinking, which is, I think, very relevant for us at this stage. It's not been deployed yet, but but I think it's important to understand where the current thinking is. Now, we're talking about a storm brewing, and I don't know if you can hear it outside. There's, while we've been carrying on this conversation, there's been black clouds overhead and uh, rain lashing against the windows. Um, is there going to be a storm at the end of all this in America, uh, Saman? Is all fiscal stimulus good stimulus? Can you just spend, spend, spend with, with gay abandon, or uh, is it going to be a flood of troubles afterwards? I think uh, to answer that question is that what will be the consequences of it, right? I mean, we know... If we, uh, fiscal comes in big, at least in the short term, it will boost growth. Uh, and if we even assume some of the very strong multiplier assumptions for some components of fiscal, you know, it can be quite, quite supportive for growth. But the uh, medium-term question still remains, can we generate enough sustainable growth uh, out of the spending which will help us grow out of this debt? I think that's the critical question. Uh, because if we can't grow out of this debt, and histories, or at least recent histories, gives us cause for thought and pause here, uh, then we are in more serious problem than we are currently. Because then we will end up uh, with much more higher leverage uh, and, and which will become unsustainable. So that's the risk factor. But I think the, the thinking here is that uh, if this debt uh, accumulation is used for productive purposes, uh, it can gr- uh, generate not only short-term growth, but capacity for long-term growth, which is trend growth, then we can, you know, this this is an effective and productive use uh, of, of, of the higher debt burdens. And and in itself, that's where the risk is, that if we are not able to do that, it the numbers we are talking about uh, can land us into a lot of trouble. 
It would cripple the economy. I thought you were going to leave us on a, um, a happy note there, but actually, no, it's a sobering thought. Um, given the sums involved, I think that's probably a very sensible approach. But um, an awful lot riding on the next few weeks and uh, how America votes, which will set, um, I mean, it's obvious to say it, but will set its future in one course or another. Thank you very much indeed, Salman Ahmed. That brings us to the end of this podcast. If you'd like to read more from Salman on the US elections, you can do so at our website, fidelityinternational.com. You can also listen to more discussions from Fidelity's investment teams on our award-winning sister podcast, Fidelity Answers. Just search Fidelity Answers wherever you get your shows. The producer today was Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Alex Wilcox and Madison Fletcher. From all of us at Fidelity International, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.